is this thing on? This is the loaf here. Uh, so, we couldn't get the schedules to vibe this week. And since uh, Zom put such hard work in when I was uh, put up on the shelf, a self uh, putting up on the shelf, um, since he carried the show for like that, I figure, yeah, I could do the same thing. Probably won't be as good, but I can do a solo. Um, not going to really uh, review movies, so to speak, this week. Just talk about some stuff I've been watching. And um, talk about a couple things that I've watched this week that I really dug. So, um, that being, well, one, not a movie, but WrestleMania 31. Yeah. Uh, Zom's not a current WWE watcher, so figured I would uh, kind of uh, make up the difference there. Talk about WrestleMania a little bit, because I actually did enjoy it quite a bit. I wasn't super pumped going in. but um, And another uh, blind buy Blu-ray this week that I checked out, uh, Interstellar. Um, when Gronky, uh, listener buddy Gronky, came over for WrestleMania... He said, uh, yeah, we talked about Interstellar for a minute. I think we saw an ad for it or something. And, uh, you know, he highly recommended it. And on a whim the other day, and probably because I hate sitting at home for too long on my days off anymore because they get make, uh, make me anxious, I went out and uh, bought Interstellar on Blu-ray at the Walmart. Um, and funny there because... The Blu-ray was 20 bucks and came with an iTunes copy. And the iTunes uh, the iTunes store sells it for 20 bucks also. So, don't know what's going on there. Anyway, um, some stuff I've been watching. The, just so it, I guess, doesn't get too piled up and I'm bored. Um, I checked out Gung Ho last week. Now, this is a Ron Howard movie. Um... This is one I remember from being younger. Uh, I don't know that I had ever watched it. If I did, I probably would have been 10 or 11 years old and caught it on uh, our bootlegged Cinemax uh, feed that my parents somehow came across. Um, eh, it's, it's that kind of movie where it's probably best I didn't see it as a kid because I probably wouldn't have understood what the hell was going on. Not that it's an overly complex movie, but... It, you know the the humor and stuff like that is not all that childlike outside of some possibly racist stuff with uh ged watanabe um just kind of the way that asians are per- portrayed at times but it was the 80s i guess you know it became kind of a thing not not overly offensive but and the, the movie wasn't overly offensive but not overly great either uh, you know it was really fucking long it felt like and Eh. Not my favorite, uh, Michael Keaton. Not my favorite comedy of the year either. Um, yeah. If you're, uh, if if you have fond memories of it, maybe leave it as such. Um, but I guess you could do worse. Uh, I watched a couple on Hulu, so it's been an on and off week. Just because I'm, you know, I get burnt out on movies. I, I when I power through, so sometimes I start watching TV. Sometimes I start reading comics. I, uh, I've kind of put a hold on the DC comic reading lately. Um, I was reading a huge run 
mainly, uh, I guess, late 2004 and uh, a lot of 2005 DC, kind of leading up to um, Infinite Crisis, I guess. It's not something I'd ever really read before. And the amount of titles just that came out around that time just seemed overwhelming. And uh, now I've heard kind of mixed opinions on mostly kind of opinions on uh, where DC headed after that into the new 52 and all that. Maybe that kind of put the brakes on a little bit. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed quite a bit what I read. And I've read uh, a little extra from the Batman series, actually, with uh, the Red Hood and all of that. Um. And the way it ended, uh, the way that storyline seems to have ended, I certainly need to catch up with the rest and read the Infinite Crisis series itself, I would think. I don't know. I haven't really gone back to it. It's been a couple weeks now, and I just wanted to change, I guess. I'm still not reading any Marvel comics, but I did kind of hop back in the uh, the, the manga. Um, started reading uh, a little Death Note. Now this is I've read this series before. I think I'd read the whole thing outside of maybe the last volume. It's twelve volumes long. I don't know how many chapters that makes. If uh, now for the comics readers that don't really read Japanese comics, they the comics there come out a little bit differently. They usually they are in these big monthly, uh, I guess compilations, and they do chapters. Um, and when I say compilations, like uh, a very famous one is uh, is Shonen Jump, and every, you know once a month you get there'll be probably I don't know I don't even know what to compare it to, but there'll probably be like you know five or six seven uh, care uh, uh, titles that happen in a Shonen Jump every month, and there'll be a couple or you know one or two chapters from each, maybe I don't know eleven pages, not quite comic length, and they're sh- they're smaller pages. Uh, in that they don't have as many like frames as a comic book as a, an American comic book, so what they do after a while they they collect a certain amount of chapters into a volume and they release them as these little books, paperback size. So a volume ends up being you know two three hundred pages total. So it's not quite like a trade paperback that that collects a a, a storyline because a lot of these end up being a su- super long storyline. Death Note's really no different. It um, it has. It's about a uh, a guy named Light Yagame who becomes across this notebook that is uh, he finds on the ground, and it's got these rules written inside. Um, and it's it's from a a being. This notebook belongs fr- to a being na- called a Shinigame. Now, the one in this movie, Shinigame. I might I might be saying that wrong, but. The the Shinigami are death gods, and they basically, in this story, are, you know, they, they're bored. They sit around and gamble in their own little dimension, and they, uh, every once in a while, they will end a human's life early um, by writing his name in their little death note. And if the human was to have lived 60 years on Earth, and the de- and the shinigami kills this person with you know when they're 40 the shinigami then gains 20 years in his own life so that's kind of what they do and they're bored and they don't like doing it so there's this one death god that is uh 
he's he's bored enough to where he goes into the uh, to our world and drops his death note on the ground, and this very very smart. Um, uh, this, I mean, he's a high school student. Light Yagami finds the death note, reads the uh, rules that written inside about how you can uh, write names of somebody. Um, so the story ends up being this like back and forth, and the comic's pretty cool. Uh, back and forth because he is tr- he decides he's going to rid the world of criminals, and he watches the news. And there's if the, if there's a violent criminal talked about. He writes it down, and there's certain rules about how people die and blah, blah, blah. And he decides to make it obvious that one person is doing it some supernatural way because if you don't write a cause of death, the person dies of a heart attack. So um, he makes it obvious that it's the same thing every time, and it, it, becomes into this, it becomes this international investigation, and this super detective named L, uh, an unnamed detective, Basically, starts to trying to track him down, and the game and the book becomes the kind of a, a game of chess between the two, and it really has a lot of twists after that. Um, but the reason I bring that up now is twofold. One, um, the Shinigami are also talked about in a book that I've started reading, and I'm actually going through quite quickly. Uh, Bleach and Bleach, I've read years and years ago, so I don't really remember much about it. But the Death Gods in this one are more of a they—they they are kind of tasked at this from this place called the Soul Society for cleaning up bad spirits and keeping the balance alive um, because of too many spirits, but uh, become or on Earth or on this in the Soul Society, then the balance gets off. Blah blah blah. But that's been really good. But the other reason is I watched uh, one I'd never seen. The Death Note uh, movie, the live action. Now, they made two of these. There are three, but I'm not sure if one's a remake or what. But the part, the first two parts are done in 2006. Um, this one's directed by a guy named uh, Shusuke Kaneko. Uh, never heard of him. I never see, really reckon, I didn't recognize anybody in the movie. The guy that plays L did a very good job portraying what L is like in the books. Wasn't a big fan of uh, Tatsuya Fujiwara as Light Yagame, and it's probably kind of lame, maybe shallow of me. I, th- I felt like Light Yagame was kind of a better looking guy <laughs> in the comics than this guy, this kid that played him was. Um, the the book, um, well, sorry, the movie. It more or less follows the comics, but it. Um, it veers off a few times. Um, it's worth seeing. It's not the best. It's a little long, uh, but I am curious, and I'll probably watch it before Zom and I record again. I'll watch the uh, the sequel to it that came out in um, also the same year, 2006, and uh, kind of report back how that was. This was okay, and I feel like that's probably the case a lot of the time. Uh, when you do a live-action version of a comic in Japan, it, it, it usually doesn't feel quite as... I don't know, there's always something missing because the, the comics are always so, like, with the sound effects actually being drawn out, they're they're a lot more dynamic and, and action-packed, and the, so it always ends up feeling like these... these uh, the, the, the live-action versions are a little more muted for some reason, so... But uh, if anybody has any recommendations of live-action... Uh, 
Japanese, you know, con- you know, came from comics, I'd be glad to hear them and uh, check those out. So, um, a couple other things. Uh, I watched a little documentary on Hulu. I touched on Hulu just a few minutes ago and stumbled right over it. But um, I don't even know how I found this one. Uh, oh, another thing I've been doing is playing some kind of random video games. So I think that's why I came across this one. It's called 100 Yen. The Japanese Arcade Experience. This is a Canadian documentary from 2012. And it's about the uh, evolution of arcades, particularly in Japan. Um, There are better arcade documentaries um, like that came out in America, and I'm not sure why that is. I'll tell you, the... The one, this one, the Japanese arcade experience, they focus a lot on a couple types of video games. Uh, one being shooter games. So they they really go into Space Invaders. Well, they don't really, and that might be a, a, the thing I have with this. You know, when they say that it's the Japanese arcade experience, I was hoping it was more of a history. This is like. They say, okay, Space Invaders was the granddaddy, and here's kind of where they all led to these bullet hell games, these, you know, they kind of touch on Galaga and stuff like that. But it's a lot of, like, guys that currently still play at these really small arcades, and they, they do a similar kind of thing that they did here with the scorekeeping and stuff like that. But the games now are a lot different. Now, I like, I like shooter games a lot, so I was probably the most interested in this aspect of the film. Um, but then they get into fighting games, particularly 2D, like Street Fighter. And I have not honestly been interested in 2D fighting games since I was a kid. I remember renting Super Street Fighter 2 on Super Nintendo when I was probably 13 years old. And I stayed up all night playing it. I thought it was the greatest fucking thing since sliced bread. And that might have been the last like 2D fighting game I ever gave a shit about Um you know, after Mortal Kombat went doing all the combos and stuff, and I guess maybe like Street Fighter versus no uh, Capcom versus uh, Marvel. That one was pretty cool. Maybe, maybe. Um, I thought it was mainly cool because it was one of the first uh, games I ever figured out how to pirate on my computer. But that aside, um, this was all right. The some of the arcades in Japan look pretty fantastic. There's some really cool looking like um uh I guess more interactive type games. Oh, and the other thing were music games, also something I was really never into. I kind of got into the whole guitar hero thing a little bit, but um the dance dance revolution, eh, not for me. Um uh, so they talk they go into a bit about that too. Um, but some of the other stuff that kind of um, more interactive and physical, not not physically moving, but um, baseball looking games, these horse racing games, it looked pretty interesting. And uh, that said, somebody posted a link on Facebook. Don't know who that was about playing this cabinet uh, Star Wars game. Uh, where you're kind of flying an X-wing fighter and stuff like that, and the monitors make it such that it's I mean, it looks like you're literally sitting in this cockpit. It even made me sick to watch, but if I could somehow deal with motion sickness, it would be really fucking cool because the graphics were awesome. You know, flying around the top of the Death Star, down in the trenches and stuff like that looked pretty awesome. 
Uh, but yeah, 100 yen Japanese arcade experience. It's all right for video gamers. I don't know that this would branch out much farther than that as of interest in, to anybody else. Uh, let's see. The Dungeon Masters was another one, another one I watched on there. I think I watched this one at like 2 a.m., so I only <laughs> caught half of it and then had to finish the, ne- the rest the next morning. But um, this was uh, kind of that, if you liked 100 yen, check this out. This one is about three people. Now, I thought this one was a better a, a better documentary because they they touch on what these people do. Dungeon Masters is about these people that play Dungeons and Dragons, but they do other things too. And what was pretty cool there's a there's a chick that paints her skin black, wears a wig, and um, she does live action role play. She's supposed to be a dark elf. And then you have the guy who's an aspiring writer, and he's supposed to be this amazing dungeon master. Uh, dungeon master is a guy that, or guy or girl, that uh, is in charge of running the campaign, or the game, I guess, in uh, Dungeons & Dragons game. Um, you know, setting the rules in a way, you know, guiding where the story goes, while the players, who each have a character, decide, you know, it's like choose your own adventure, I guess, if you remember those books. Uh, and then there's the other guy who um, had an interesting past. Uh, I don't want to give out, you know, give away what he had uh, going on, but um, some kind of a, some sad experiences, and all of them kind of used this role playing as their escape from their own realities. Um, it's it's it was an interesting interesting look at these people and um you know they don't the 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 movie's not technically about being a dungeon master but about you know these people dealing with that uh de- dealing with their life through that that uh that lens so it was pretty interesting i like this one uh i watched world's end own this one on itunes it's a rewatch for me this is the edgar wright directed uh simon pegg and uh Oh, what's that other guy's name? You know, the big guy that's in all the other movies too. Nick Frost, I think. Um, I probably didn't like it as much as the first time, mainly because I went in the first time not knowing a thing about it. And as the other two of the uh, Cornetto trilogy, uh, that being um, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, they have a twist. And... I had no fucking idea where the twist was going to go in this one, and it really surprised me the first time and thought it was pretty cool. Seeing it this time, yeah, it's pretty still, I still like it, but not probably not as much as the first time. It's probably like a 7, 7.5, but still a lot of fun. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not sad I rewatched it. I'm not sad I bought it. still like it quite a bit. Uh, another one that I bought this week, pretty cheap. Um, it was on sale on Amazon Video. Uh, this is uh, Where Eagles Dare. Uh, this is Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood doing a whole uh, behind-the-scenes kill-the-Nazis kind of movie, save the guy in a castle. Pretty fucking cool. It's nice and long um, because it's filled with action. There's some pretty fantastic stunt work. Uh, This is from 68, so some of the special effects get a little dodgy with, you know, the green screen look or whatever they're doing, but... I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, this is uh, this is definitely one to check out. 
and it had me it had me guessing a few times, you know, doing the whole double agent thing. And uh, Richard Burton is pretty good in it. Um, not that not that that's all that I, I say that like it's unbelievable, uh, but you know, if you if you dig action movies, this is uh, especially '60s action movies. This is this feels like a nice, good '60s action movie. Uh, definitely, definitely check this one out. Um, the only other one I'll bring up is uh, Wolf Cop. Now, Zom talked about this one a few weeks ago. This is um, a horror comedy Canadian movie uh, written and directed by a guy named Lowell Dean. Now, the trailer for this, I remember, looked really funny. Um, not it's, a, it's one of those micro-budget type movies kind of in the vein of Hobo with a Shotgun. Parts of this, I'm not falling in Zom's camp. I'm all, I'm falling more in the Cinemascus camp. Farts, parts of this I thought were really good. I enjoyed this movie. <sighs> not not fantastic though. Pretty. It ended up being pretty average. I wouldn't say steer away from it. It's not. It's not offensively bad like this one. God, this one nun movie I saw. Fuck. What was the name? I, I'd have to. I, I can't remember the name of that one. But the as far as like the neo grindhouse micro budget movies that have kind of been the 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 thing to do for the past five years or so, you could do a lot worse than this one. Um, some of the stuff's pretty funny, but some of some of it just really felt like it dragged on. And for an eighty minute movie, that's 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 not not a good thing to do. The makeup looked pretty good. The transformations were pretty fucking disgusting, um, in a good way, as a werewolf movie should be. But, uh, yeah, you can check it out. It's actually on Netflix now, so I, I turned it on the other night and, uh, you know, powered through it. Got a little sleepy in it. Maybe that had something to do with my feeling eh, but it's uh, it's it's all right, man. It's all right. Cool. Um, you know what? I'm going to take a break and go get beer, and I'll come back and talk about some wrestling and some black holes, maybe at the same time. I'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Well, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. Guitar Wolf, daddy, yeah! All right, uh, got myself a 
Blue Moon First Peach Ale. Mm-mm. Ah, nice and light. Perfect for podcasting, Daddy. Um, all right. So now I, I wanted to talk about Interstellar a little bit. Now, this is going to have spoilers. Um, I don't know how long I'll talk about it. I didn't take any notes, but it's been a little while since a movie really had me kind of this invested, and I was surprised by it. Um, so I went to, like I said, Walmart the other day and picked up this Blu-ray. Um, so Interstellar is, well, I'll read the synopsis here. A team of explorers travel through a wormhole in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. So... I also watched right after this. There's a there's a f- couple extra features, and one of them, the one I watched, is called the Science of Interstellar. So in this movie, which they talk about this phenomenon in the uh, little extra feature, uh, in this movie you have uh, a a time on Earth in maybe the not so di- it can't be that not so it c- that distant of a future uh, because everybody's cars still look like current day cars. But what we have is a basically a giant dust bowl that has taken over the earth. And they talk about this, you know, with the, the dust bowl type phenomenon in the science, uh, the science of interstellar documentary where, um, back in the day, uh, back in the dust bowl that, when the, the crops failed and the soil kind of just sat there and the wind would pick it up and it would make these huge dust storms. Pretty interesting. And, and it's basically what we've done is kind of made this a global phenomenon. And there's these giant dust storms that come in and it's kind of made technology almost worthless. The, the, the focus of humanity, and humanity seems to be a lot... There seems to be a lot fewer people than there probably were already was, even though this is this is based somewhere it seems like in the Midwest. But the crops keep failing, and and food has become the number one priority. There's there's uh, the tech technology has not really been a thing, and there's a really great scene. This stars Matthew McConaughey um, and uh, some other people, but. Um, there's a really great scene really close to the beginning because uh, McConaughey plays a character named Cooper and he is, he is, he's got his head in the clouds and that's kind of not a thing to do now. Everybody needs to be a farmer and he gets news, you know, that his son uh, with his test scores is going to be best suited to be a farmer. And uh, he's not happy with that because he's, he used to fly uh, these important missions for NASA or something. And he has this recurring nightmare about crashing one a jet or or some kind of uh, spaceship, and but uh, maybe not a spaceship, a low orbit type vehicle. But um, but there's a pretty great scene where they find he comes across a low flying drone that is solar powered. It's probably been up in the sky for years and years, and they're able to like kind of take it over with their with his laptop with that kind of and he he uses it. He uses these kind of parts to automate his farming equipment, which is pretty neat. You know, this is a thing that the government's not keeping keeping track of anymore, and uh, he wants to use the brain out of it to, you know, use it for his own good. Um, Now, he's got a daughter named Murph, and Murph and Cooper's story kind of becomes a... 
it's kind of the driving force almost of the whole thing. Um, you know, I've said before the fifth element I thought was kind of corny at the end uh, because love ended up being like the fifth element or some some kind of crap like that. It's kind of kind of it made it, this has made me a hypocrite because it's almost the kind of same kind of thing here, and uh, <laughs> you know. But I thought it was uh, touching in this case. Maybe it's because it's a father and a daughter and not a Bruce Willis, but. Um, but Murph is ten years old, and she has she has the drive of her dad. You know, she wants to she wants to be a scientist and and whatnot, and um, she has this phenomenon. Well, through dust storms, like literally, they have to wear masks. They have to you know shut all the windows because it's like everybody's you know at risk of being sick because of all this dust always in the air. And corn has really become the only crop that still will you know all the other ones have been failing and they don't really know what to do and they're just kind of kind of fighting along day by day and um, through this phenomenon on her in her room in her bookshelf where the books keep falling off and she calls it her ghost and the books fall off in a certain order but um, through the dust that ends up in her room uh, through some kind of math and there's a lot of this in this movie the science that I don't really understand, <laughs> I, you know, the uh, uh, particle physics and stuff like that. And this one's even a simple thing, just a, a, a gravitational wave kind of helps him track maybe what's causing this issue, which leads him and Murph, who sneaks in with his car, to a secret station. Now, like I said, spoilers, I'm just going to talk because I kind of want to talk about it. And yeah, Um this station is owned by NASA. NASA has been working in private for quite some time trying to develop what is essentially an arc because they kind of have a feeling that humanity's kind of done on Earth. Earth is not really being all that friendly anymore. And, and um, they have discovered a, a wormhole. Now, a wormhole is described as, if you can imagine, like drawing a line on a piece of paper traveling from point A to point B. Now, if you fold that paper in half and poke a hole with a pencil through point A and point B, that's kind of how traveling through a wormhole would be. So, in a sense, it's like bending reality to travel great distances in a much, much, much shorter amount of time. They don't know exactly where this wormhole has came from, but we learn that they have sent people through it already to what would essentially be another galaxy somewhere on the other side of this wormhole. And um, they've sent three people. Well, no, it's more than that. The ones I remember are Miller, Mann, and Edmonds. And they've sent them through, and that's the only people they still have a signal from, even though it's not. It's just a binary signal. It's not uh, no, no words or anything. So they, they assume maybe they're still alive, and hopefully they found a planet that's worth inhabiting. <sighs> so... I don't want to give too away about the much away about the middle part of it, um, but there's some really cool stuff in here that really just uh, I one that has to be said are the special effects. They are gorgeous. Some of the I guess celestial bodies uh, created, obviously done via computer, are done um, with the assistance of. 
a gentleman that I can't recall the name of, a, uh, a theoretical physicist. Ah, shit. Um, I'll try to find that. But, uh, you know, they would consult him about what these things, using his real-life math, what these things might look like. You know, they wanted to make a wormhole actually look like a hole, and you see something through the other side, but the math of it would be that it would look like a sphere kind of floating there, which is pretty amazing to think about. And the way they enter it is not just flying straight in. They're actually like, it looks like they're orbiting this thing, and they hit the, the cusp of it, and all of a sudden, boop, they're on the other side. And who knows how much time has passed, how far they've gone. There's no way to really know. And I just love the, uh, the, the sense, like the, t- the tension in it, where, you know, this time is passing. There's a, there's a time element, element involved because they're trying to save man, but they have this plan B where, well, if they're gone too long, well, we got some human embryos on our ship, we're going to have to start a colony. And uh, Matthew McConaughey has this, you know, great tie to his family, and he's like, he does not want plan B. You know, his, he's like, I'm making it home, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, the 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 planets that they show the the uh, like I said the wormhole the 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 supernovas the black holes all that stuff just looks so fantastic. The ships they'd use, um, the sound design is really good. I'm really glad I bought this on Blu-ray. Um, it, it's nice to have it on iTunes because it could be portable. But this is a very visual movie, and I, I kind of regret not seeing this in iTunes. Oh, sorry, in uh, IMAX. The reason I didn't is I was honestly I was I was nervous about the motion sickness because I hate going to one of these high motion movies and having to kind of avert my gaze. Pacific Rim was a tough one even for me to watch. As far as I could tell, though, in this one, um, there's probably there's one scene that even got me on my television where they're kind of like establishing a spin of their ship called um, the Endurance. And they 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 set it spinning fast enough where they can uh, emulate gravity and not have to float around the whole time. Um, and by this time in uh, human development, they have figured out kind of the how to, I guess you know, slumber like they do in the Alien movies, where if they're going to be flying for three years, they can put themselves to sleep. So when they wake up, they're there and they don't have to experience this thing. They're kind of a their metabolism slows down and they don't kind of age the same way. And so they do that because it only, it takes two whole years to get to Saturn where the wormhole is. And when they fly through, they have to make these decisions where, um, basically based on guts, but also on locations of these planets, which ones they're going to try to go to, you know, they don't, they don't have a way. It's not Star Trek. They don't have sensors to say what's on the surface. So they kind of have to play it by ear. And uh, the the one part uh, that blew my mind, and even watching the little documentary, uh, was the fact that there was one planet, Miller, the first one, where they know that when they go on this planet, they have to hurry because it is, it's close to this uh, high-gravity black hole. And the explanation is that you know, gravity is uh, another one of the um, dimensions, I guess. And in places of affected by higher gravity, time actually passes uh, slower, which is pretty incredible. So basically, 
due to the black hole being so close to this planet, if they stay an hour on the surface of the planet, it's like seven years go by on Earth. And just to think of that happening, and there's a really touching scene early on when, when Cooper is telling his daughter Murph that, you know, maybe when I come back, I'll be the same age. You'll be, we'll be the same age. And his daughter just looks disgusted. And he has given her this watch. He throws it across the room. Well, there's a mishap on Miller's planet. And um, they've left a guy back on the endurance to do some kind of research. And there's a mishap with the engines. They can't take off. And by the time they get back, a few hours have passed. And when they find out, the guy's like, they, you know, like, oh my God, how long has it been? He's like, it's been 23 years. And for them, it was only couple hours three hours and it's just like just like that it's gone and that kind of stuff in this movie just affected me and i really liked the human element of this dealing with these these super like i mean for me mind blowing mind bending like forces of nature that are out there that i'll probably never you know well at least in my lifetime ever figure out and there's a whole thing um with going to this other planet and but they have this deal with a, uh, a a giant black hole at the end that leads us to a whole thing with essentially what is time travel uh really good it can, it can be complex but what i appreciated about it is it does a good job of not dumbing itself down, but explaining without over-explaining. I felt, I don't know, I'm, honestly, I've not seen any, um, I've seen a couple people, uh, Gronky included, that really liked it. Um, I've not seen any criticisms, per se, about the movie. I know that, um, I know there's been some like kind of talk, well, one being the center of the black hole has a, uh, some sort of, Basically, something built in it that allows you to uh, experience more than just the three dimensions, and you can kind of be everywhere at once. So, if if how would the you know if the if the humans had built that, maybe how do they actually how did how did they save themselves in the first place? If Cooper was the one to do it, but you know, there's the whole paradox of time travel itself, and maybe it's a whole loop. And I don't know, really good. And it must be the same special effects team that worked on um, some of Nolan's other movies because it all looks pretty fantastic. Um, the soundtrack is good, like I said, and the sound just sounds really good. There's some really great moments where it's just chaotic and you hear you know, heavy breathing where they're, they're stressed, but then it flips to the outside and it's completely silent, even with explosions and exciting movie. And it has some good... Um, heartfelt stuff in it and really like really makes you think and you know maybe because I don't understand all of it um I like the fact that they did some explanation but I I was okay with not knowing by the end of the movie and there's there's stuff left open I mean traveling through a black hole is something maybe we'll never know exactly what happens so the the theoretical part of it is pretty neat uh you know it's take certainly takes some imagination and um I uh I I quite like this one. Um so high recommend from me. Uh the other thing I wanted to talk about, another thing I will spoil was WrestleMania 31. So if you're not a wrestling fan, you could probably <laughs> stop the show now. But uh I was not super excited going into WrestleMania this year. 
Um, I don't know why. Uh, you know, just that's just me. It looks like I'm not going to be as uh, as woo as talk as as long <laughs> as Tom can. I don't ha- I don't ever. Uh, I'm not as talkative a person, I guess. But the um, WrestleMania 31. It, if anything can be said negative about it from me, well, besides the Divas match, and I'm sorry, guys, if that was a good Divas match, then the other ones must be the fucking worst thing on earth because it, you know, I don't like Paige. I don't like AJ Lee. Uh, they're too, they're too light. They don't look convincing. Paige is still a mess. She needs a lot of work. I mean, she just looks sloppy. The Bella Twins are fucking awful. Sorry. Um, but I I just I, I don't I just miss the days of women wrestlers that actually looked tough and they're not just out there because they are hot. And I know AJ Lee and Paige probably have their fair share of fans because they are both very good looking women. The Bella Twins are also very attractive. They're just not. They're just not wrestlers. Um, now, uh, Medusa, the uh, the the former women's wrestler, she had a, a very good speech at the Hall of Fame the night before. Um, now she was a tough, tough lady wrestler, big girl, um, and she had a. Uh, she was funny at the at the Hall of Fame, like I said, but. Um, I think she even had a dig at the women's title or the, sorry, the divas title when she, uh, she's famous for throwing the women's belt away when, um, she went to WCW back in the day, but, uh, she threw it in the trash can and it kind of almost in a way started the Monday night wars. And, um, but she, uh, as part of her speech, kind of a little gimmicky thing, had a trash can brought out and, she pulled the old women's title out of it, and she says, "She says, which had to be in my eyes a, a, a dig at the women's belt." She says, "Now that's a women's title," which I thought was pretty funny. But anyway, the um, they stuck a couple things in the pre-show, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, the they had a four-way kickoff tag team match that. You know, the show was from 7 in Eastern Time, 7 to 11. Um, I guess to go back real quick when I said some of the negative things. Another negative thing was that this happened in daylight. Uh, they did it outdoors at Levi Stadium near San Francisco. And um, it's kind of neat sometimes seeing wrestling done in daylight. But with the production that uh, WWE has, it really lends itself to in like a dark place. So the fireworks kind of have the same effect and... I mean, Undertaker's entrance. Oh, it was daylight for Undertaker's entrance. And what a wet fart that was because Bray Wyatt, he was wrestling, comes down with, like, fucking dancing scarecrows. And let me tell you, they need to bring back the Wyatt family something bad because Eric Rowan and uh, uh, other guy, um, they're just kind of lost. And the Wyatt family was really something pretty cool. And they give this Bray Wyatt... Uh, dancing scarecrows. He could have come down with the Wyatt family, looking creepy. They could have fucking. They could. They could uh, recruit somebody else. You know, that's a that's a pretty unique something that hasn't been done in wrestling in a long time. You know, having the the creepy stable that's not the the shitty Dungeon of Doom like they did in WCW. But 
yummy. Um, but anyway, Bray Wyatt, you know, his entrance was all right. But then the Undertaker, you know, I was expecting this pretty grand entrance. Now, Undertaker looked looked good. At least he looked better than he did last year. I don't know if he hit the juice or what. But he um, he had I mean, it had just a very generic entrance. There was no druids, no like nothing special. It's just him walking in. And I was like, what is you know? Come on, this might be his last one ever. Yeah, it might might not be, but. Anyway, back to the uh, the tag team match. It was kind of a mess. It was all right. Uh, New Day uh, is not ever going to get over. I'm almost convinced. Um, uh, Tyson Kidd and Cesaro won that match. <sighs> yeah, they had to do the whole thing. It's kind of the WWE way now, though. If if there's multiple, more than just a tag team, everybody has to get their finisher in and rapid fire. And what ended up being a mess, there's no way the referee was keeping up with who's who. I think he fucked up a call. Eh, it, it was all right, I guess, but entertaining to watch. Um, the Battle Royal, also in the pre-show, also not part of the main show. They really uh, stretched out the show this year. The fucking entrances were super long. Uh, and they had this awful uh, uh, musical number. I don't even know who the hell it was, um, and unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, I, I had it. I didn't pause it at the beginning, so I had no buffer to skip divas and music. But, um, but the they had a, the second annual Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Again, not something I was looking forward to, but ended up being pretty fun. They kept saying the Big Show never won a battle royal, never won a battle royal, so they kind of gave that away. But so the Big Show did it up, did up winning, winning. Excuse me. The <laughs> the the funny part of it was the crowd totally popping for um, uh, Damian Mizdow. Him and the Miz finally split up, and they did a pretty great little number. The Miz, Mizdow and the Big Show were the last two in the ring, and Mizdow was holding his own, and the the fans were going pretty ape shit. It had kind of a letdown ending because there was nothing all that uh, thrilling about the way that Mizdell was finally eliminated. But he almost got big show, so you know, good on him. That was a good, good, good show. Um, another thing I was disappointed about was the fact they opened up with the Intercontinental Title match. Um, this match ended up being it felt really short. Now people told me online that it was. I don't. I didn't see the official time, but over 20 minutes, which I was surprised. It felt faster than that. But when you got seven guys involved, you think it would go a little longer than that. Now, granted, these guys were taking some pretty heinous-looking bumps, and uh, I, I don't. I do not uh, envy that at all. I. I. Uh, I. I couldn't do it myself. I, if I fell on a knee right now on the floor, I'd probably have to call out of work tomorrow. But. Um, Dean Ambrose took a bump all over the top, like powerbomb style, through a ladder. The ladder broke. I think the ladder was over-gimmicked, and he almost fell pretty much straight to the floor on his shoulders and the back of his head. So he didn't look good. I mean, from that. Um, the I don't know. The, the, the Dolph Ziggler and Daniel Bryan were kind of the last two standing in a way. Um, again, everybody kind of had to get their spots in. Um uh, Stardust had a pretty incredible, like Mr. Sinister is what somebody said online, which is really spot on. But Mr. Sinister cape, uh, these kind of like fingers coming off the top, not literal fingers, but 
uh, and and ribbons in a way hanging from behind him instead of just a cape. He looked really good. Um, and I really liked the sequence there to close the match, multiple like a headbutt fight. And Daniel Bryan's kind of incorporated that now. It seems like I've watched a, a couple matches since then. Him and Ziggler had another kind of rematch on Raw this week. Another fantastic crowd for Raw. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen the wave happen in a wrestling event, and it happened in Raw this week. Pretty fun. Um, but they, they kind of are. You know, they'll start headbutting each other Japanese style where uh, it, I, I love it when they do this in Japan. Like one guy will chop and he'll just go yell and just wait for the other guy to chop him back. And they were kind of doing that bit headbutt and they'd look at and the, the other guy would headbutt. And then they actually start headbutting each other at the same time, which would totally kill you in reality. But um, but they did a great spot with that at the top of the ladder. Pretty exciting. Just felt a little short, but, you know, Daniel Bryan wins and hopefully... I'd like to see kind of a, and they're hinting at that with the commercials and stuff they've been running, kind of like, you know, saying, you know, WrestleMania 3, Hogan slams Andre, but the real runaway was uh, Steamboat and Savage and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think they're trying, and if I had to guess, it's probably Triple H's kind of, uh, his influence coming through. Um, they're kind of, re-emphasizing the mid-card belts and not making them seem so second tier but more an alternate um because the what happens it seems like so much and this is this goes back to god pretty much to hulk hogan years with a few exceptions but the the uh, the upper card around the world title gets so clogged but they have just a just a guy you know, that kind of, like, I guess it would be Cena in this case, um, that kind of gums up the works in a way. And then they don't really know what to do with the other people, and the other belts kind of get become throwaway, it seems like. So I think they're kind of trying to make these more important. They have Cena chasing the U.S. title, and, and he won the U.S. title at WrestleMania. And Daniel Bryan, I think they're going to bring, hopefully, be able to bring more prestige back and, Make these uh, make these belts more exciting too, because you know it's the belt doesn't make the wrestler; the wrestler makes the belt. So they got him on on John Cena, who's doing his whole pro USA thing now, and and uh, Daniel Bryan, who's a workhorse. So, but the uh, just to skip to that, um, John Cena Rusev Rusev had a pretty amazing entrance. He rode in on a tank; it was totally reminiscent of Rocky Four. He had soldiers marching in. Lana was wearing white and looked fabulous, and uh, she took her shoes off at one point, and I think the collective internet community was like, <gasps> barefoot Lana. Uh, she's still hot, but I don't know about the bare feet thing. But um, Decent match, but John Cena's entrance was so disappointing. Uh, I was really hoping. I was like, man, after fucking Rusev drives in on a tank, John Cena better fucking fly in in a jet and parachute in, and they show like a, USA propaganda movie with lots of George Bush and fucking Ronald Reagan and then he just comes into his normal music and whatever. The match is okay. John Cena wins. Another another fart. Uh, Triple H Sting. Oh, Seth, Randy Orton Seth Rollins. Solid match uh, with a pretty spectacular spot at the end where Seth Rollins was going to do his curb stomp and I don't know how they must have practiced this because it looked like this this is one of these things that it could have gone way wrong but 
uh, Seth Rollins was trying his his curb stomp, and Randy Orton stands up so that Seth Rollins is basically able to vault off of him with his foot. Gets, I mean, he's probably ten feet in the air. Randy Orton hits his RKO. Good stuff. Uh, right out of midair. Very good. Triple H Sting. Sting looked good for being 85 or however old the hell he is. Um, Triple H probably still on the juice, still thick. Um, and if you haven't watched it and you are a wrestling fan, it's pretty good. Uh, there's a video, if you look it up on YouTube, called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. And it really talks a lot. It's a comedic kind of thing. Uh, talks a lot about the, the, the rise of Triple H. Um, good stuff. And there's so many good cameos in it. Just keep an eye out for them. Except for David Arquette, because screw that guy. Um, but the Triple H, uh, I don't know why he had to go over Sting. Yeah. The, patch, the match was not spectacular. It was more fan service because the NWO comes out, even though I guess Sting eventually did join the NWO, but they all come out as the WCW side to protect him from the Degeneration X who came out. So there was like it was like nostalgia all over the place. And Zom's favorite, uh, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, had to play a part in it too. Now, Sting can show his bald spot, but <laughs> Shawn Michaels sure as hell's not taking off his cap. Who knows how much hair he has left under there. Um, let's see. AJ Lee and Paige defeated the Bella Twins. Again, Paige carried that match. She's still not great. Not not good. Not, not good. Um, Undertaker did defeat Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt looked good. Um, Undertaker still looks tired, but looked a lot better than last year. And the final match, the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns. Now, uh, Roman Reigns is kind of the, the chosen one, so to speak. He seems to be on a path, regardless of what anybody says, to win the world title. So, he was fully expected with the recent events to win the world title from Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock Lesnar, being the MMA guy, is probably the most legit-looking <laughs> champion they've had in quite a long time, <clears throat> probably since their maybe early 80s and the 70s. <clears throat> Sorry. And now, so people have been booing. Even though he's the good guy, even though he's the face, Roman Reigns has been getting booed so hard, and he was booed coming out this really hard. Now Brock Lesnar is supposed to be the bad guy. Now he's getting cheered like crazy because he's looks legit, I guess. Um so everybody's expecting Roman Reigns to keep coming back and there the crowd is just ready, so ready to boo and boo and boo. And they whoever whoever laid this thing out, planned this thing, uh they they hit on something really nice. Uh now Brock Lesnar really took one or a few for the team because right when this thing starts, Roman Reigns comes out and, I mean, legit punches him in the face. Instant blood. And I kind of wonder if they're doing blood again because they've started using some profanity in PGWWE. And I saw it again on SmackDown this week. Daniel Bryan got knocked out of the ring, and I think he bladed. Um, he had a, he had a bloody forehead after hitting a, a monitor outside, or maybe hitting a monitor outside. Um, so I don't know, but 
Brock Lesnar instantly had a swollen eye and and blood. There was a really vicious knee when he's bending over to come in the ring, and and Reigns just lifted his leg, like his knee up. I mean, they they showed it in slow motion, and I mean, if I had to guess, Brock is just like you know, I'm I I've I'm used to this. Hit me. You know, this, uh, I guess he could take it now. I don't know what would have happened if he hit him just right and he fucking <laughs> uh, was unconscious. But, yeah, I guess it could happen. But um, So he, you know, he took probably three good hits to the face. And one where, so the, the booking went, it wasn't just Reigns keeping, keeping fighting back. Reigns just got, I mean, manhandled, thrown everywhere. It was kind of like the SummerSlam match. And but Reigns, what was interesting, they just had him keep just laughing despite the getting just to his ass beat. They just had him laughing, which was pretty cool. And Lesnar, um, they do a thing where he where Reigns reverses him outside the ring and throws him into the ring post. And Lesnar took it spot like straight on, like literally like forehead first into the steel. Instant, just gushing blood down his face, dripping down his chest, and really staggered him. And then you had the feeling, the, the crowd started feeling it. Oh, my God, this is when it happens. This is when Reigns is going to win. Great acting by both guys. Then the fucking music hits, and Mr. Weasel, Seth Rollins, cashes in his money in the bank. Both guys are totally wiped out. A series of events happens, and he escapes with the title. Everybody's shocked caught me completely by surprise it's been a long time since wwe has had me uh kind of feeling excited and i was i was getting pumped with this match i thought it was good stuff good fun wrestlemania great way to end it and i think they're gonna have they got something here i think reigns can be ready over time and if he can chase rollins for a little while have some guys and have rollins be a nice old style heel champion because he's very talented uh, as far as ring work goes, but he, unlike a lot of uh, bad guy heel wrestlers these days, um, they don't they don't back off, and he does. He he said you know he'll run. He's not afraid to run away and look fearful, but still gloat about beating somebody. So, but it was a good, very good WrestleMania. If you have the network and you didn't check it out, check it out. Um, even though I just spoiled the shit out of the whole thing, and. Um, Check out Interstellar because I know I didn't do that movie any justice whatsoever, but um, the that movie is it, lots of feeling, and I was very impressed, very well acted all around, and uh, definitely check that out. So um, that's about all I have. What did I talk for? About, about an hour, not too shabby. The um, we'll be back. Uh, regular time next week and I, I don't always have to do this but I was bored this week I don't have to get up until late tomorrow and uh, we're going to come back and we're still going to do our um, UHF and um, uh, kitchen stories nice little I guess Swedish Norwegian uh, movie so UHF and kitchen stories are still coming and um, keep your feed sack coming, 206-339-1600 or silvagoldpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, our show's always on iTunes and Stitcher and uh, silvagold.com. And please join our Facebook group. Uh, we, like, uh, we like lively discussions, so come talk about comics or whatever, or, or movies or wrestling. We got groups for those, but whatever. 
uh, Silva or sorry, Facebook.com slash Silva and Gold. And um, again, um, I know I've said it a while back, but um, thank you again to Zom for uh, getting in the saddle and keeping the show going. Because honestly, if it was up to me, it might have just quit entirely. Um, you know, you go through some stuff sometimes, and you go. I, I got to where I got to where I you know there's uh, there's not a ton of stuff that thrills me these days, unfortunately, but. Um, the show was still something I was enjoying doing. I, you know, it's not that I, and it, well, I, mean, I, I just got to where it was even feeling like a chore. Watching movies just felt like a chore, and I just, I guess, I needed some time off. And then, um, hopefully, it, hopefully, it sticks around for me. Um, it's not, it's not the listeners. It's not the podcast itself. It's just me. So, hopefully, I'll just keep this shit straight and figure it out and uh, keep on trucking. But Zom. Uh, thank him again for coming through and maybe this is my little solo thing here even if it's a mess or whatever it's just kind of a kind of an homage to the good doctor so uh until next time i guess um this is silver and gold signing off and loaf oot. Yeah.